0: Hi, this is ESPN's Dave Lamont, and you're listening to the
1: Sports Objective Podcast, the unofficial podcast of the Pirates. objective right here beautiful night wednesday night and uh right now we have with us from china grove bubba rosenbaum what's up man
0: uh, fired up dave um you know attended the pirate armada down in charlotte tonight at the vigilite theater and got to hear and you know, john gilbert and then uh, coach houston as well as um, new head men's basketball coach mike schwartz uh, speak to pirate nation so um you know fired up to talk about pirate football
1: no doubt about it with us, and we got a very special guest tonight. Uh, looking forward to conversation with him.
0: Yeah, this guy was a, a Pirate during the Skip Holtz years and also was GA under Skip. Uh, welcome to the show for the first time, Brett Hickman. What's
1: up, guys? Appreciate y'all having me. No doubt about it. We're very excited about Pirate football, and I don't know if you were there, Brett. Uh, I was for the spring game very excited about Pirate. Uh, I know that we could talk X's and O's, uh, maybe bore some people, but uh, certainly the depth has been one of our strengths now, which was something we couldn't say a few years ago.
2: Yeah, I mean, I don't think there's any doubt Coach Houston's come in and uh, has has been able to remake the roster in his image. I think – his background kind of competing against him when I was at North Greenville and then he was at Lenore Ryan and of course the Citadel and and while I was at Gardner Webb I always had a great amount of respect for how he tries to build a football team which is kind of inside out uh, on the offensive and defensive lines which is where I think you know our program was 2018-ish, 2019 was just not in a position where it could compete consistently. Uh, in the AAC, so I think you're seeing some major shifts there. Um, but you know, I'm I'm excited about what he's been able to do in the portal. You know, with the receivers and and you know, as as the maturation of these young guys on defense keep going, and uh, I, I think we're headed. I think he's finally got the roster where he wants it uh you know ha- how does that go with an AAC schedule plus NC State and BYU on the schedule we'll see from a from a tangible win loss perspective but i think you're going to see a a quality football team this fall again
0: yeah like you were saying Brad uh, that's one of the things that coach Houston said tonight. he said you know people all the time are asking hey coach uh, how are we going to be how are we going to be He said, all I can tell you is that the Pirates are going to have a very competitive football team um, this fall, um, that we have a chance to compete in every game. and That was uh, anything but the case when uh, my staff and I took over back in December of 2018, that, um, like you just mentioned, that that we were small, that we were slow across the board. Um, We're nowhere near where we need to be in the trenches, um, but
2: that is no longer the case. That's right. I really, I really do like, you know, what he's doing. I think, I think it's a team that's, I mean, anytime you're two and three deep along the defensive line and, um, you know, I think offensive line wise, you know, with the transfers coming in and, and, and the continued maturation of guys like uh, Avery Jones at center and, and some of those other guys who kind of got thrown in the fire beforehand and, and getting healthy, you know, I think uh, Bailey Malavic and, and some of those guys along with the transfers coming in, I think that's a group. You know, because those guys are really going to get coached by Steve Shankweiler. you know, at those two spots.
1: Uh, if you're good, you got a chance. And, Coach, I wanted to ask you about the uh, very fact you played for Coach Holtz, as we we're talking about, uh, with GA for Coach Holtz. Just want to get your thoughts, but with this whole uh, mess we call the NIL, I'm obviously for paying players or having some form of it. But things have gotten way out of hand. Um, now they're trying it looks like the NCAA is last week this whole thing we thought we could have a collective then they're pulling the reins back on that it's like once it's out there it seems like it's too late like the old cliche goes "The horse out of the barn. Yeah the horse is out of the barn or we're trying
2: to put toothpaste back in the tube you use whatever you know saying or uh, that you want to say I, I think the NCAA and for that matter pretty much anyone scared of lawsuits and litigation and um, yeah, I think it's ironic. I, I did a paper in college and, and talking about, you know, the first time the NCAA really got uh, hammered by the Supreme Court, which was over the TV deal, you know, back in the 80s. I, I don't know if all of us are kind of in tune or remember that, but the NCAA had exclusive TV rights. And you could only be on TV, at the, you know, one or two times a year, which is why your Saturdays were, you know, CBS might get one game or NBC might get one game. or and then ESPN came along and, and the Supreme Court said, you can't do that. The school should have the rights to their TVs. And and at that point, this thing that we call amateur athletics or whatever, the NCAA, it stopped being just, we're going to make our money off of ticket revenue. And when you started getting the TV money in the conferences or whatever, the Power Five or what was the Big Six or whatever, started, you know, getting these Millions to multi-million dollar TV deals. You know, people started looking at it like, you know, should we have guys who are playing in front of forty-five thousand people at, at you know Dowdy-Ficklin Stadium or hundred thousand at Michigan Stadium? You know, they're they're playing for for nothing more than a scholarship. I, I don't think. I, I speak as a guy who's thirty-six years old and spent most of my life in college football. I don't think most people have a problem. Uh, with a kid profiting off his name, image, and likeness. But I do think the problem is it went from zero to 100 without any regulation. You know, and it, it got out of hand. And it got out of hand way too quick. And when you didn't put any regulation on it, and you've got some states playing by this set of rules, another state playing by this set of rules, um, I guess maybe it was naive. Maybe it was just laziness. Maybe it was whatever. But if you didn't think this was going to become – a way to induce recruiting um, as it's clearly become. I mean, at the, at the highest levels of college football right now, it's basically bidding for these four and these five-star kids for, well, we can give you this much in NIO. And, and I think Jimbo Fisher's a great coach. I think he works his tail off. But if you don't think the fact that Texas A&M's got millions upon millions of dollars, uh involved in this had something to do with all of a sudden they are they're recruiting at a level higher than Alabama and Georgia are uh, you know, you're crazy you're you're insane so you've got the haves and the have-nots and they've set up these collectives and everything um you know they they, they got to get a handle on it to where it's NIO meaning Holton Ehlers goes and does a uh commercial for Parker's barbecue of Greenville and he gets paid 500 bucks or a thousand that's fine but when it started becoming, you know, right away that it became, you know, we'll pay you twenty five thousand dollars to come to your school. It saturated the market, and some kids are, you know, are starting to get this idea that they're a junior in high school and they're going to be worth fifty grand or whatever. And what can school X, Y, and Z do for you to get that? Well, number one, the coaches are really not supposed to be, uh, kind of orchestrating things. That it's supposed to be on their own, but. Uh, it, it's a mess right now. And if they don't do something, and it's a, it's a really bad thing in my opinion for our school as it relates to uh, East Carolina. I mean, as, as much as we love it, um, we're not getting, we're not generating that type of TV revenue. We're not generating, you know, we don't have the fan base that Georgia or Alabama has from a, from a national perspective and we rely on a few donors to fund our athletic department, you know, so as the case is now, okay, do we put it into a, do I, I make whatever, I've only got $30,000 a year that I give to my school. So do I take that $30,000 and put it in this NIL collective, which is going to hurt these other Olympic sports, or do I put it back in the athletic department and we suffer in recruiting because we don't have enough NIL money to, to, uh, bring on good basketball and good football players, you know? So it's a, uh, you know, it is a, it is an evolving time and it is a mess from what I've heard from a lot of my buddies that have come through recruiting uh, over the course of the last six weeks. And yeah, Now, Brett, before I get to a couple comments that I had
0: uh, since you brought up, you know, you gave that example, you know, Holt Naylor's obviously he, he's had deals with um, pirate radio for one and also, You have Sup Dogs and such a big deal there in Greenville. Uh, I know he has a deal with them as well. Uh, But uh, I know Mason Garcia. I know you're on social media. You saw Mason Garcia's uh, commercial. Commercial, Mm -hmm. excuse me, uh, with the uh, financial company.
2: Yeah, I got no problem with that. I mean, I I think that's what it's supposed to be about. I do have a problem. I mean, those are guys who, especially in Holton's case, I mean, that guy started over 30 games or 40 games as a college football player. Like, he sets the market. Your starting quarterback kind of sets the market. But when you start dealing with 17 and 18-year-olds who haven't played a high school football game, making decisions based on you know, can you get me commercials, dude? I don't know if you can crack the depth chart for three years. Much less, am I going to be orchestrating a deal with said businesses behind? You know, whether or not it's legal or not. You know, should I be promising something to a seventeen or eighteen year old when I got guys on my roster that are really more uh, deserving of of that pot? You know, if that makes sense. So, and if we're not doing it with recruits, are we getting? Um, I, I mean, what are our competitors in recruiting do, doing? Or as it as it pertains, I mean, certainly we have the the four major ACC schools uh, around here. But I, you know, one thing that's changed a lot, even in the 14 years I've been gone since being at East Carolina, recruiting has become more competitive in this region. Just by you look at you look at App State, you which was FCS at the time, Liberty, which was FCS at the time, Charlotte, which I don't even think had started their program yet in 2008 when I left, you've got old dominion who was FCS at the time. Um, You know, the, 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 the group of five schools that it basically exists from the mid Atlantic region down through Georgia, it's such a more saturated and competitive recruiting market. And as you know, Raleigh-Durham has grown, as Charlotte has grown, as Metro Atlanta has grown, all these areas that have historically been really good to East Carolina, these areas are starting to get hammered by people that were not playing FBS football, you know, 15 years ago. So the idea that we were, um, you know, really East Carolina set in a great spot for about 30 years being the one kind of... Uh, Power group of five team, if you will, in this region, and it's just simply not the case right now um, for our problem for for our I mean, We got a problem with that as well, because we haven't been as good as we should have been post post roughing And in between, you know, the first couple of years of coach Houston um, and, and then, of course, the market just becoming more saturated. So you got a lot of layers uh, to all of this that affect East Carolina in 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 not a great way, in my opinion.
0: Yeah, to your point, as far as, you know, unproven talent, um, you know, essentially schools, you know, trying to, to buy players, uh, I listen to Shane Matthews' podcast on a regular basis, uh, yes. essentially daily, and it's almost a daily topic on his show, the NIL, because there's always something new happening, and you know, he, he just thinks it's absolutely ridiculous, um, you know, for – Guys like the, uh, the high school quarterback out of California in Tennessee, a marketing company has offered him $8 million. He yep. said that's – and then meanwhile you have Hendon Hooker uh, on campus who played very well for Tennessee last year. And now what's he getting
2: compared to that $8 million? <laughs> Precisely <laughs> right. And the NCAA's done – if they've done anything, they've done a decent job at trying to get the boosters out of the recruiting over the course of the uh, – you know, over the course of the last I, – I, all the mess that happened in the 80s with in the Southwestern Conference with Baylor – or not Baylor, SMU, you know, and those guys, and they've done a decent job, and now you're just asking for people to to get involved. And and then, you know, case in point, if it's legal for me as a business owner or whatever, you know, I want you to recruit this great kid who plays at West Bromley High School. I go and watch him every Friday night. He's great. I'm going to give him an NIL deal for – a year to help you help you choose East Carolina over coastal, which is right down the road or whatever the case is. Well, what's going to keep me in two years when he's number two or number three on the depth chart from calling coach Houston, Hey, I helped you get this kid. Why is he not playing? You know, and now we, now we got a big problem because you know, now coaches can't coach. And I don't think it's gotten to that point. I know it hadn't gotten to that point at coach Houston, because I think he'd probably tell the booster and anybody else where to stick it. But, You know, we we don't need people thinking they're owed something because they put their money in. So, you know, it's a total mess. And and the more money that's involved at stake, particularly in the Southeastern Conference where recruiting has already been or has always been uh, a season unto itself. I mean, Florida fired Dan Mullen, guys. I mean, Dan Mullen's a terrific football coach. He got fired because he wasn't recruiting at the same level as Georgia and Alabama. You know, they had just played in the Cotton Bowl. He had played in two New Year's Six games in three years, and he got fired just because they weren't winning in February or December or whatever signing day is now. So um, from a from a broad picture perspective, uh, doing too much without regulation is causing a, a bunch of problems right now.
1: And I think eventually, uh, Brett, things will It'll, it's like a bubble. It eventually will burst. Pop. I don't know what's going. Yeah, I don't know what's going to happen. But obviously, I'm not Mister Uh You were talking, and you guys can probably help me. What was that Texas kid that went to Ohio State? Quinn Ewers. Yeah, he didn't even. Yeah, he didn't even. Did he even play? I mean, he's like they gave him like million, uh, like millions of dollars. You know, it's so frustrating to see. Uh, like you guys said, the other thing I will tell the players right now.
0: Well, okay, Dave, very quickly uh, about that young man, Brett isn't he back at the University of Texas now? Is Matt that right?
2: Texas, and he didn't play his senior year of high school because the right. athletic association in Texas said that he could not profit off his name, image, and likeness. So that kid gave up. Uh, that kid gave up his his senior year, which you know, to any of us that went through that, that's prom, that's graduation, that's all of that to go essentially be a scout team quarterback at ohio state so he could make a quick million and then obviously they've got a, a heisman cj stroud maybe is his name um so the kid wasn't going to play at ohio state and, and they just took off and win i don't blame the kids i mean you know they're just taking advantage of, of what's given to them i just don't think this is what uh, the people had in mind when they started talking about nil
1: no, and it's frustrating to me because that very thing, the players better be very careful, and I'll tell you why, because let, let, let's just uh, let, let's there's no let, again, I want to be fair to we have a lot of friends that are former players, including Matt who's on the show with us now. And Matt, if you're here, you can chime in. But Bubba played, you played, like we said, we have nothing against the uh, paying the player, so to speak. The problem is the very fact of what's going to happen is. I can see a scenario right now, especially in SEC, where things are just so – it's the ultimate Wild Wild West in the SEC right now. I can see a scenario right now where a kid's in SEC championship game. He doesn't make that catch. He fumbles the football. Something's going to happen, and they're going to find a way. They'll find a way to get rid of the kid. And most people don't know that scholarships are a year-to-year basis, but I think your scholarship road is a lot better than the road that we're heading down, I'm afraid of, where a kid goes to Alabama, or the other thing we've heard a lot, which is probably more common even now, where I just take a kid and I'll recruit a kid and I'll, I'll be in Georgia and I'll I'll take that kid so he doesn't go to Alabama. Uh, with all the stuff, where they're, they're, now they're not going to have scholarships or the limits on scholarships, all kinds of crazy stuff that I never thought I would see happen is happening. Uh, the death penalty the SMU got now is okay. You can do that so i i just wonder why do we have i would have asked the ncaa why do we have an, any rules now you know if uh you're going back to the nil also when you were talking about what i never usually say congress should be involved but there should be one national rule or rules uh, period when it comes to nil across the board and that would be a lot more fair than state by state
2: well, there's got to be an umbrella that that oversees and and to me even at the high school level you know and we we have these in these coaches meetings like you guys have to understand that football's different it's different than women's soccer it shouldn't be governed under the same umbrella that football is governed by at, at any level you know for instance the 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 hand that feeds, in East Carolina or a uh, NC State or a uh, you know Southern California is football and men's basketball, and it and football is the biggest one by far. And then and then at at a few places baseball, uh, particularly in the SEC, you know it it plays a role in that, but. I think we're heading towards some type of break where division. Now, I'm hoping it's not just the SEC and the Big Ten and 40 other schools where it's a power league. I think it, I think you could make it work where it's 80 or 90 schools that are willing to do it, with East Carolina being one of those, um, breaking off and, and basically creating their own calendar and let the NCAA still handle you know the eligibility center and that, but you know the recruiting's different. the The calendar needs to be different. NIL legislation needs to be different. And uh, you know what? The other thing that's being affected because of all this, because football's factored in the Title IX, is is other male sports uh, are being cut more rapidly because you know you've got to you've got to have equality. You know, and, and when football's involved, you know, women's sports. Take up a lot of the rest of the budget, which is great and fine, but and we, there's so many issues that that we that we got to tackle. And like the portal stuff, you know that that's a thing into itself. But who's going to be the governing body for the next? Because I think it's going to happen. I really do. I think it, I think we're looking at a different college football in ten years. And and how are they going to legislate all of these things? Because you're right, nothing's getting legislated right now. Hey, now it's funny you bring that up as a good
0: segue to a point I was going to bring up that Coach Houston as well as John Gilbert were talking about tonight at the Pirate Armada, and that is just the, the deregulation of uh, the NCAA. He said, he said uh, quite frankly, and he being John Gilbert, um, you know, to put it simply, the NCAA is uh, tired of being sued, and <laughs> so you, you're going to see conferences uh, have their have their rules that they're going to be playing by, and um, and it'll go from there, as, as you're saying.
2: I, I, it's coming. I mean, I, the SEC's playing by a different set of rules right now, and you're playing by a different set of rules, even within your own league, based on your state laws. So until we get something that comes from Congress or a governing body of what's right with NIL, what's right with the portal, I mean, the NCAA is so screwed up thanks to the roster management due to COVID is a major issue. I mean, you tell, you tell me as a head coach that I get 85 scholarships, but every all 85 of those guys get one extra year, whether or not they played or not. You know, a bunch of kids played college football in 2020, and they still all got extra years. So what am I going to do to get back below that 85 within a year? Well, what's happening is these guys are pushing the kids to the portal. And they, I can't. You can't blame the coaches. I mean, they got 102 guys on scholarship, and they got to get rid of 17 of them. So you know, again, a reactive move. Uh, You know, now you're talking about we. You got to get below the 85, but now we're going to get rid of scholarship limitations within the next four or five years. So I, I don't know what they're doing. I don't. They don't know what they're doing, and they're so tired of being law they're tired of being sued and they're tired of being a pinata so they're not doing anything. And uh, you know, I guess bad leadership would be better than no leadership at all. But uh, you know, it is I'm right now, I, I am per I told Trip Weaver, who's the East Carolina safety coach, was in our school today, and Trip and I have known each other going back 15 years. I don't envy what those guys are going through recruiting wise. I don't envy what their summer calendar looks like now by official visits and the portal i mean they've got official visits for the next six saturdays in what should be camp season kind of downtime not downtime but you know refresh your batteries going into a football season it's a hard time to be a coach it's a hard time to 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 do that job
3: yeah and and brett uh first of all this is matt Semenza. nice to meet you uh I love the work that you do on two four seven so it's it's a pleasure to meet you. Um, you know I, I think I, I like the way you the way you took this conversation that's actually where I was gonna go. We had a uh, coach Houston on the show a few weeks ago and he talked about exactly this problem of you know the fact that the NCAA they granted the extra year uh, with covid but they really didn't they didn't have the ability to, look two and three steps ahead and that is the ramifications that 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 came from this and you know it put these college coaches in an awful situation where they essentially had to cut people from the team um and and i'm sure that had to be those conversations have to be extremely difficult as a coach when you're essentially pushing a player that you recruited less than 24 months ago into the transfer portal that's got to be a brutal conversation for a college coach so i don't i don't envy uh what these coaches are going through at all at the same time there are situations and, and and nobody will really talk about this but there are situations where you might have and every team has them maybe 5 to 7 scholarship players who simply aren't cutting their weight You know, maybe they're not, they don't have work ethic in place. Maybe they're just not picking up the scheme. Maybe they just were, uh, the evaluation coming out of high school was just off. Um, so now this is a way to essentially cut kids. And it's just, like you said, I I don't think the NCAA had a plan. They didn't look two and three steps ahead to see what, you know, I, I really believe what they should have done was had a tiered system. So, you know you have to get back down to 85 well we're going to give you three years to do it so the first year you have to be down to let's just say you know 88 then 87 then we're going to get you down to 85. it had to be structured in a way where it was realistic and they just didn't have the vision to to be able to do that
2: No, i mean it once again nio went from zero to 100 now we're trying to go from 100 back to stopped you know i mean you're exactly right, and that's the way it should have been done. I mean, if you had 105 in 2021 or whatever that was, it should have gone back to 100, then the 95, and then the – because the other residual effect that nobody's talking about, at my level, these guys are taking less high school kids per year. You know, they're not, because it's easier to yep. for me to say, I'm going to go and recruit a kid who's played two years of FCS football that's already put on those 25 pounds in a lot of ways. The portals made it a whole lot easier to just say screw high schools, you know, and I, I'm not saying that East Carolina's doing that at all. I don't mean that, um, but you know, there's I, okay, I need a plug and play roster guy, but a lot of these guys are going, they're signing 15, 20 guys. You know out of the portal and then they're taking seven or eight to 12 high school kids like i mean and we've got a really good senior class coming up that is not F- fbs kids but kids that are going to be borderline fcs scholarship division two kids you know three or four at least and everybody's saying "Well, we got about eight spots this year we've got 11 as opposed to you know the cap was usually around most people were taking 22 23 a year so you know what from a from a guy who spent his entire full-time coaching career at the FCS and division two level, those guys are going to get better high school players than they've ever got because the East Carolinas of the world and the Charlottes and the coastal Carolinas and the app states of the world are taking the power five portal kids, or they're plucking the best players from FCS uh, to supplement their roster um, or vice versa. East Carolina is going to get a better, Uh, high school player than they've ever gotten before because whatever, you know, South Carolina is recruiting, uh, they're taking portal kids. They're taking Spencer Rattler instead of taking Mason Garcia, you know, if that makes any sense. So it's a different day and age of roster management, and it's a different day and age of where East Carolina as a lifelong pirate to me, our thing was always, we're going to Williamston or we're going to Rocky Mount. We're going to take that kid who hadn't eaten and he's 185 pounds. My God, he's 6'4 and he's going to be 235 when he gets three meals in his life. And that's that dude's going to be a dude in four years. Well, they're not giving the coaches that long now, so you can't blame the coaches, but You know, that's changed. East Carolina is no longer going to be the old school Eastern North Carolina developmental program that it was. It's going to be a portal and get better high school players than they've ever got because the other guys are going to the portal. And I don't know if that's good or bad. I mean, we'll just have to see if it works. But I, nobody on hoist the colors is go, willing to give any coach five years. I mean, I do know that. So uh, to be the way it was, and, and I a basketball coach anyway. I understand that. Okay. <laughs>
3: five yeah, it five years. <laughs> a lot of those people are done after two years. <laughs> yeah. And
1: yeah, there's. I make right. a great point. There's no. I was just gonna make one quick point, Bob. I'm sorry. I was just gonna say that you, to your point, real quick. There's no more Rudys on the team anymore. There's no guy that loved East Carolina. He's very close. He's kind of like one of those guys you kinda, you're kind of you not quite sure, but hey, if we get Big John in the weight room and we'll coach him up, and he's a two-star kid that has a huge heart and with his work ethic, he can be a three- or four-star kid, uh, no doubt about it. So I agree with you 100%. And guys, you can, Bub, I knew you had something, but I wanted to add to that. Just what Greg mentioned as far as the guys
0: that are the undersized and uh, have that frame, had the weight. And, you know, you, you look at a guy that was one of Brett's teammates, C.J. Wilson. Uh, C.J. Wilson was a high school running back, and then all of a sudden, uh, you know, he comes to East Carolina and he turns himself apart and, uh, so on and so forth into a guy that played in the NFL for for a substantial amount of time and. And uh, became one of the best defensive lines these ever had.
2: Yep. I don't know. I don't know if today and age. I don't know if CJ Wilson or Pernell Griffin or, uh, you know, name them. I don't know if those guys get recruited now. I don't. I think there's a lot of those guys wind up playing FCS football.
1: And that's very sad because uh, one of the things going back to what you were saying earlier. Uh, One of the things that will help us recruiting is is, as simple as it may sound is simply winning. I think that's one of the things that's helped us. Um, I think that there's a lot of kids in the two five two and the nine one zero where you are. There's a lot of kids in Eastern North Carolina. The reason why they didn't stay here, Brett is we were not winning. Um, I know some some of those kids were going to go to the big, really, really big schools and sec. Uh, But as far as, uh, but as far as right now, the problem we've been facing is a, we were not winning, and B, uh, we didn't have the facilities. Something we can talk about later in the show, but uh, something we're way behind on is the indoor practice facility. Yep. You can start naming a whole bunch of stuff that we didn't have, and even Coach Eustis talked about. He's we've been people can easily recruit against that, um, against us, and with the NIL and um, how much money you're going to pay me. All that stuff we've been talking about is uh, is easy to recruit against East Carolina. For those reasons
2: yeah i mean i think it's that and i think recruiting by itself has become less regional uh huddle and film and uh you know those things are a lot more accessible to everybody else and like we said like i said earlier our area when i talk about our greater region the mid-atlantic southeast region has become kind of oversaturated so it's it's not uncommon for a kid from New Bern or Wilmington or whatever to to bypass going to school in North Carolina to go you know to Old Dominion or Liberty or whatever and I don't I do think as a I, I think you have a responsibility as a high school coach and we've been lucky to have you know two FBS kids in, in the last four years which is a lot for our place you know, the only thing that I ever said, and Javian chose East Carolina, and he's, he's Portland right now, and then Carter Wyatt chose to go to Duke. I do think as a North Carolina public school employee and a public school teacher, I said, guys, if a public school in this state recruits you and it's on par with the other offers you got, go visit them. You know, and I don't think we've got a lot of high school coaches doing that anymore um you know Javian got recruited by App he got recruited by Charlotte he got recruited by East Carolina Carter had the same three schools i guess you know go visit all of them uh, and then if you want to go somewhere you know for instance Javian came down to East Carolina and Liberty and Carter came down to Duke and Georgia Tech and and App State was actually his group of five kind of choice if you will you know over ECU and Charlotte but I do think we have an obligation, but I don't think a lot of high school coaches think like that. I think they're either totally hands-on or they've got some kind of skin in the game that they, you know, they, you know, you got to go to where it's going to help us look the best. And I don't care. I mean, it's not my life, but I do think, you know, as a public school employee and uh, I'm not going to push my water because I love it. I'm going to push it because, you know, I think they do right by our kids and, and they go. So, um, you know we got to do our job as high school coaches to at least get our kids to visit these schools in state that are doing it doing right by them you know that's my opinion
3: Yeah, guys, I just wanted to jump in and make a point uh, about the portal really quick. You know, one of the things that I found interesting, just starting now that we're a few years into this, you're starting to see some data come out. And I don't recall the exact percentage, but I saw a number that like roughly 50 percent of these kids that go into the portal now are actually not finding a new home. Um, So I think it's going to be really interesting. The more data that comes out over the next few years it's going to be very telling and 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 i actually think what you could see and what i'm what i'm actually hoping for is that you're going to see fewer kids go into the portal because they realize that the grass isn't always greener you know what i mean and 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 as people become more educated right coaches will start to see this data it'll trickle down to the players and hey you know maybe the grass isn't always greener i might i'm going to go into the portal but guess what there's a good chance I'm not going to find a new home. I might be better off staying where I'm at. So that's one thing to keep an eye on. Um, The other thing, and I I just say this just, you know, this is just my own personal opinion. And I guess call me old school, call me a college football traditionalist, but I hate what this is teaching young people. I I really do. I, I hate it from the standpoint that, you know, you you have a little adversity, maybe for the first time in your life, you know, when you're at your high school program, you're all state, you're the best kid on the team. And then you go to college and there's a pecking order and you need to earn it. And I hate that, you know, a little adversity comes along and guess what, you know what, I'm going to, I'm going to go into the portal. And and that's not all the kids. I mean, a lot of them are, for whatever reason, things just don't work out. But I do think there's a large percentage of kids that for the first time in their life, they're dealing with some adversity and they don't know how to handle it. And, and the reaction is, hey, I'm just going to go into the portal. And I hate that. I really do because um, it's just not a good life lesson. And, and I, I don't want to go on and on about life lessons and whatnot. But it's just from a you the know, standpoint of being sort of a traditionalist, um,
2: I just don't like it. Oh, you're you're spot on. I mean, I, I think one thing I see in high school coaching and with parents, and I don't mean this in a bad way at all, I don't want it to be taken, but, like, the delusion that your kid's a little bit better than he really is or, you know, kids, if we had it at the FCS level a lot. It's like, well, why didn't I get a group of five off or, or why am I not playing or, you know, our kids at Division two all thought they were FCS players and we had guys at East Carolina that, you know, yeah, a few of you, Joseph could have played anywhere in the country. But the reality is, is not everybody that we had was, you know, SEC good. And, uh, you know, a lot of these kids are hopping in the portal, like we talked about earlier, where they're getting pushed in or they want to go down a level and they want a chance to play because they realize they can't cut it at that level, which is fine. It's the guys that are jumping in the portal from East Carolina thinking they're going to get – 10 SEC offers right off the bat, you know, that's the disillusion that, that you just can't deal with. Like, and those are the kids that they jump in the portal from school A and then they get nothing and they end up having when they really are an FBS player, but they've got to go down to FCS or whatnot because they're not as good as their mom and daddy or, you know, their, their handler or whatever, think they are. Um, But, you know, in the case of, You know, like our guy who's in the portal right now, Javian just wants to play, you know, and he realizes he's got a loaded depth chart in front of him. He's going to go down to FCS and he'll probably have a chance. That's the way it should be. But he gave it, like you said, Matthew, it's been two years. He gave it two and a half years. You know, that's a different deal. You know, like you've been sitting. Right. That's right. You know, but like these guys who are, you're not supposed to play in October of your true freshman year. Like you're an 18 year old boy, dude you know, going up against grown men every day. Like, you're not supposed to play. That's what I used to tell our freshmen. And if you do, consider yourself extraordinarily fortunate. And, um, you know, so I I agree with you completely. And like like we talked about earlier, the coaches are complicit in this too, you know, and either by NCAA doing or it's just become too convenient for them to say, screw that. We're not going to worry about developing a kid over the course of two or three years when I can go get – a ready-made product like why do i want to make my own ingredients or grow my own ingredients if i can get hello fresh right there and it just tells me to pop something in the microwave or whatever i've got to do but it is less work to coach a 21 year old than it is to develop an 18 year old and i get it your job's on the line every saturday so uh, there's a there is no simple answer to all of it there is a lot of layers to to why kids are transferring or whatnot. I will say this on that data and dealing with Javian's situation, linemen are fine. You know, if it's an FBS lineman who enters the portal, they're going to find a spot to play. But those skill kids, there's a, they're a dime a dozen. Like wide receivers, DBs, linebackers, those guys, they're the ones who are getting left out the most. But a big offensive lineman or a defensive lineman who's got some talent, they're finding spots
3: yeah and that's and that's really interesting you know that that you know that you've now seen that brett and you've had a chance to dive into that data and i think that that will at least give kids the opportunity to make an educated decision right. you know and not a decision that's just driven by emotion or, or adversity hey like you know when the data is behind it it will help so i really hope that it does lead to you know uh, at least just, just stop the bleeding a little bit, slow it down. Um, you know, but a kid like, like Javion, I agree. I mean, he gave it a few years, you know, he, he wanted a better situation and I think it's great for that type of situation. I really do. Um, but where I'll tell you guys, and, and, and I won't mention any names, but where it gets me is, you know, a kid steps onto campus, he's got two good players in front of him and, doesn't get to play within his first month on campus. And then you have, you know, his, some family members and friends on social media, you know, blasting the coaches and, and, and basically, you know, talking about that he's going to transfer because he's not playing right away. I mean, that kind of stuff, it just drives me nuts. It really does.
0: Yeah. Kind of along those same, along those same lines, Matt, um, like you said, I won't get too specific with it, but you know, in recent seasons, you um, In the Mike Houston era, we had a defensive back transfer in from an SEC school. And then, um, you know, he left us, entered the portal and transferred um, back to an SEC school. And then I saw, you know, he was gone from from that SEC school. So, it was just a mess. (laughs) But uh, I'm sure you you guys know who I'm referencing. But, um, yeah, it's just like like you were saying, Brad, if if somebody's playing as a true freshman, it's because they're – an exception and they're they're just extremely good, or it's a situation like East Carolina was in 2017 and 2018 where we're uh, depleted, depleted, depleted and getting our brains beat in.
2: <laughs> yep. That's right. I mean, like if this Lampley kid that's getting rave reviews right now from the staff, you know, that's the D-tackle, if he can crack that depth chart right now with Elijah Morris and Rick DeBrew and, you know, all those guys in front of them, you know, that have proven they can play in the AAC, more power to you, yeah. brother. But that shouldn't happen. You know what I'm saying? That's not supposed to happen. He's supposed to be – we had a saying, you know, when I was at um, Gardner Way, we wanted to keep those kids in the smokehouse. You know, if you take the meat out too quick, it's it's tough. You know, you want to let it be tender when it comes out. But if he's already a better piece of brisket, then you can let him play. But mm-hmm. – You know, that's – hopefully he's better than what we got because if he is, he's a freaking dude.
0: I'm glad you brought J.D. Lampley up because Coach Houston, um, when talking about J.D. during spring ball, uh, I guess this is right after spring ball concluded, he just said – he said, going back to my first year, J.D. would have been – he would have been starting for us every game. uh, But now um, we're just weighing it out. As good as he was this spring, will he play enough snaps – in the fall to make it worth burning burning that year, or will we just use him in four
1: games or less so he doesn't lose a year? Yep,
2: that's a good problem
1: in my opinion. And we're getting to that point, guys, where we're talking about wins. Well, now with the death, when you look at offensive and defensive line, is really it's the best it has been probably since your era, I would think, Brett. I mean, it's been a good while um, for sure, or maybe in the roughing years, but. Uh, the offensive line is good and, and you know we've got great running backs like every position you can start naming um there's the depth of east carolina and i think overall i really believe that we have a shot an outside shot to even compete for a championship this year you never know what's going to happen with football with injuries or what's going to happen but um i think that the the talent is there you've got you know it's a shame like a kid like Tyler Snead leaves but you understand why he does he's uh I know, son, with the Steelers, but uh, when you look at it on paper, um, we're set. We're stacked. You look at the quarterback position; you hold him against another year. Um, I'm really, I'm really glad that I was right. Oh, by the way, I told you so. We had a lot of uh, former players and fans who said Mason Garcia was going to transfer, and I'm glad you you were talking about kids that have waited. Um, you talk about a kid that's worked on his academics. He's working on learning the system. Uh, There were a lot of former players that didn't understand. He really didn't know the playbook as well as Holt Naylor's. And going back to what you said earlier, here's a kid who uh, he could have transferred. He's a great four-star kid, just like Holt Naylor's is. Um, But he's paying paying his dues, and he's going to be a really good player, a really good quarterback at East Carolina. And here's a kid who waited, and he's going to get his turn.
2: Absolutely, and you know we're right across the line. We actually play Carolina Forest um, on the schedule. I waited until Mason left to to do that, which I think I mean, they're still pretty good. But I've seen him up close and live. There is no question uh, the raw talent, you know. But we're I, you have to so many words, you know, when we get into these discussions or whatever on 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 hoist the colors on you know. We're not playing very well here. I, I like to remind people: you're not at practice every day, and you don't know how much of the how much of the Rolodex the kid can handle yet. And they were obviously having to bring him along. I mean, just going back to that Navy game uh, that he had to play a lot during the um, I guess that was the 2020 season. I mean, that was a shell of the entire offense. And um, you know, he's another one. We we we've been able thanks to the COVID year to, to be able to nurture him, allow him to grow in practice before he is exposed in front of 45,000 people. And at that position, confidence is so vital. It is so important. And you want a guy when he goes out there that he's ready to perform. Now he might, he might be thrust upon this year, either through, uh, injury. Hopefully Holton can stay healthy or, um, You know, we've sputtered a little bit at times over the course of the last couple of years, and maybe having them, maybe having a backup that's capable of coming in now. I do think that the offense took off uh, a little bit more toward the end of the year because there was a little bit more, less reluctance to run Holton um, because, um, you know, they felt better about Mason. And whenever you gotta play eleven on eleven instead of eleven on ten, uh that's even better. So two quarterbacks is a really good thing and a and a ready made Mason Garcia in twenty, I guess that'll be twenty twenty-three, uh, is big for the future of the program.
3: Brett, I just I have to chime in really quick because I think you make a great point and about running Holton. And this is this is something that um I've been talking about for a few years and it's, I think that in my opinion, when you look at who Holton is as a quarterback, he, he's, a, he's a guy who he's not, I don't see him as your traditional pocket quarterback. I see him as a guy that's uh, athletic. He can make plays with his feet. Um, I think he can present a lot more challenges to the defense when he is running effectively, and it's really – it's something that I've really been calling for now. Obviously, you know, the flip side to that is when you don't have a backup who's ready, you're going to be a little more hesitant to run the quarterback. And um, so so to, to the point, I'm hoping that, you know, next year that we have Mason Garcia, you know, he's another year of development, another spring ball, another fall camp, I'm hoping that we can – uh, unleash holton a little more and just let him use his feet let him be a playmaker because i just think it opens so much up and it presents a lot more challenges to the
2: defense no doubt I, on that note i mean that i've had this argument with with fellow coaches a quarterback can defend a guy like holton that's that big he could defend himself um more as a runner with the football than he can behind a Patchwork offensive line as he's had the, the, I guess, the first couple of years he was there. You know, so, I mean, the guy's over 235 pounds, and I know he's a little bit leaner than he was, but like when he gets downhill, not really worried about the contact that he, has because he can defend himself. Hey, ask that Memphis
0: linebacker, right? No, no he's a big dude. he chucked he, he that kid. Yeah. <laughs> but, um, but, yeah, Johnny Gardner chimes in on Facebook uh, regarding the recruitment of the portal. Uh, so that's something I know uh, you've certainly seen film on those guys to some degree, um, maybe some more so than others. But, uh, obviously, the positions of wide receiver and offensive line were uh, of significant need. And uh, Coach Houston and staff you know, on the offensive line, you bring in Justin Red from Norfolk State, a guy who was the best lineman in the MEAC, uh, and then also uh, – you know, you, you young man from um, uh, from up at West Virginia, who was uh, out of Mallard Creek, and then also uh, also a guy that was very proven and did some nice things at Marist, uh, and uh, and then receiver wise, uh, you got a proven guy in Isaiah Winstead, who had played for for uh, Coachly Trail Scott at Norfolk State, and then you have Jalen Johnson who played for the national champions and uh, played significant snaps for them, even though he didn't catch a lot of balls. And then also, uh, obviously, Jarrett Garner coming in from Duke.
2: Yeah, no doubt. I do think, not that I'm experts on these guys that are coming in. I mean, I know who they are and obviously what their accomplishments were. But it does also the fact that they've been so aggressive in recruiting receivers and linebackers. Uh, that they're not entirely confident in uh, inside linebackers for that more specifically that they're not entirely confident with uh i guess the younger guys on their roster you know i think um supplementing at, particularly at the receiver position i think without you know Tyler was clearly your go-to and then obviously cj's had his own set of issues and um you know though it looks like be on the back and audio, had a good year, um, but that that offense is is receivers away, you know, because I think it's a as the O line's gotten better, and I think you know we've hit enough on the quarterback situation. uh The engine or the oil that makes that engine go is those two tailbacks, and if you can make if you can continue to loosen up the box because you've got some guys who can make some plays down the field. You know, with with a strong offensive line and those two tailbacks, the sky's the limit for the offense. But they needed to they need a they need to hit in yeah, the receiver, and then you know an inside linebacker. You lose Bruce Bivens, Aaron Rams. You know, getting some experience in there that's played a little bit is important. But they also they need Miles Berry in their last in their last years of eligibility.
0: The receivers um i want to see what you think about this brett but on um, the few minutes of film i did see on isaiah winstead both from norfolk state and during his time at toledo um it, with the with him being a bigger receiver six two six three 215 or 20 pounds uh reminds me a lot of uh, Trayvon Brown,
2: yeah, I'm a big physical kid. I, either there there's two ways to stretch the field. Either you can go on top of somebody and grab it, or you can run by them. Um, I do see talent wise. I think the guy that they've got that can actually run by people is Josiah Hatfield. Now he's for whatever reason he hasn't hit the level that I think he can hit. You know, maybe without. Uh, Maybe without Tyler, he gets to play in the slot a little bit more, you know, where where that might be a little bit more keen to his size. But he is a guy who I think can run by people uh, down the field. Um, but Winstead's the guy that can that can sit, you know, he's the guy who can go and get the 50-50 ball and turn the 50-50 ball into a 70-30 ball, you know, where the offense is either going to come down with it or it's going to be an incomplete pass. And when CJ's at his best, he's that guy too. So, you know, when you, if you line up two guys who can do that on the edge, plus Ryan Jones and Shane Calhoun who have proven that they can catch, you know, tough balls over the middle, you start to look a little bit different offensively because I think we feel pretty good um, with, with the two tailbacks. Now, we've also been incredibly fortunate that neither one of those guys have gotten banged up. Knock on wood, you don't want to see it because that's usually a spot where you deal with some injuries overall. But um, on on offense, if Winstead is as good as advertised and, and we get the best version of C.J. Johnson, uh, it's going to be a good group. It's going to be a fun group to watch. It's going to be the most fun we've had watching a pirate offense since uh, Lincoln Riley was calling the plays. I really believe that.
1: And you know, Brett. One of the you were, you mentioned the guy that to me, uh, the exactly the receiver to me, CJ Johnson. I think is going to have a good year. I think he he knows coaches. Coach, if he wanted to, he could have kicked him off the team. Never let him come back on. Everybody loves CJ. He's just done some foolish, childish stuff. I think from my understanding, but um, nothing to the point of where it would break the integrity of the team. But as far as uh, the you were talking about, Josiah Hatfield. He, to me, is the X factor on this team at wide receiver because CJ, I think, will have a good year. He's uh, I I mean, he will or he won't, but I feel like he will. But Josiah Hatfield, this is his chance to really star, be a star. He is a star. I don't know if he believes in himself or what the issue is, but he's definitely got the raw talent. And I tell you, the difference between winning and losing games, it could come down to – there's a lot of 50-50 games on the schedule. everybody can say BYU and C State's going to be tough, but there's a lot of games that you can look at the schedule right now that could go either way. it's a it's a catch or two away from winning or losing. it's that razor thin like a margin of victory is that close. and so it's going to take guys like that to make the big plays. i hate to say that, it sounds so obvious, but it's a hatfield, it's a CJ Johnson, it might be um Mitchell uh, Keaton Mitchell, one of the guys in the backfield, but uh, it's something like that that's going to be the difference in winning and losing. And it, at least we're at that point now where we're building the program where before we were losing by 20 or 30.
2: Yeah. The number one indicator of who wins a football game other than turnovers and obviously points. I mean, I know somebody's going to chime in on the chat and tell me points are what dictates who wins. Thanks a lot. Um, but uh when you look at stats, I, I've always said two things, turnovers and explosive plays. And to for explosive plays, I'm talking runs over 12 and passes over 15. You know, if, if, if you've got guys who can make plays past people and you've got a defense who doesn't give up explosive plays and you make offenses execute all the way down the field by nature and you take care of the football, you're going to win games. And to me, Keaton Mitchell, who's – one of the most explosive player. I'm not saying this is a pirate Homer PFF says it. everybody, the guy's an explosive player. If we can get that from just Cy, uh on the edge, then um, boy, it, it could be really fun. Brett, let me, let me ask you a question. Just schematically.
3: Um, you know, we we really don't. When you look at this offense and what we do, and and it's really interesting to me because, you know, during your time here with with Coach Holtz, and then you look at, uh, you know, when Lincoln was here, we were very good at running wide receiver screens. Perimeter blocking, I think, was outstanding. I think, I think that was a really strong part of our game, and something that this offense doesn't really do. Or, or, or actually, I could probably count on one hand how many times we've run a. Wide, re, wide receiver screen in the last few years. Um, but I, I personally, I think that's something that could help the offense a little bit, go into more like a little bit more of a perimeter, wide receiver screen look, just to sort of mix things up a little bit. Is there any reason why we don't utilize that?
2: Is it just purely a scheme thing? Is it personnel? Like, is that something you've observed, Brett? Yeah, I think two things. I, there were two types of screens that I would say, you know, going back to the the, the skip era was kind of the early adoption of the kind of behind the line of scrimmage RPOs, the bubbles and the smoke screens out to the edge receivers and didn't flip it out to Dwayne Harris, let him circle the defense and get eight yards and it could turn into a 50-yard play. I mean, people were still throwing bubbles, but they're not throwing them as much. And I'll tell you what's happened. You know, COVID gave me a lot of time to watch a lot of football And particularly in the AAC and the Big 12, you're getting a lot more cloud coverage concepts, not to get too technical, but, you know, you've got hard corners out there, press corners, or you've got people who are playing more backer force with the SAM nickel outside of the bubble. So the bubble doesn't leverage people as as well as it used to maybe 10 or 15 years ago. Um, As far as what Lincoln did... And I thought this was I thought he was just obviously he's gone on to be be considered maybe the best offensive mind in all of football, not just college football, but um, you know, the, the the various the tunnel screens, the dual screens, the the jail breaks, all of those things that he did. I know if I think of a football and offense as a menu, the menus only got so much room. So if I'm going to be really good at screens at that point, Lincoln was not very um, diverse in his run game. You know, for instance, when he was at East Carolina, there was a little fold play and there was a zone play. He didn't get in all the counter and the the power and all that stuff before. So uh, I, and I haven't watched as much Oklahoma and and of course now Southern Cal films. I don't know if he's still doing the same things he did at East Carolina. Um, But I know those guys ain't going to take off that half a page. That's the air raid pass plays because that's kind of who those guys are. But I think they got a lot more into the screen game in East Carolina because the run game wasn't very diverse and it, and it gave them an example. But uh, I've been searching for, I think the one qualm I've had, qualms probably a strong word. We have not hung our hat on one particular run scheme. You know, I I think in 2020, we were more, we were better at like a pin pull or a, um, you know, some outside zone. This year, we seem to be a little bit more heavy on the inside zone and and a little bit of of counter and quarterback draw. Uh, But are we trying to do too much in that? Um, You know, because if you're going to do something, you got to take something away. But, yeah, it could help us. It could absolutely help us. I mean, you know, I, you would have never heard me say we, we get Tyler Snead the football enough, and the screen game was certainly a way that he could have touched it even more than he did over the course of the years, and he got it plenty. I'm not – certainly not a referendum on me calling Donnie out or anything like that, but that was a great way to get Dwayne Harris the football more, you know, where, where he got it, he got it plenty of times with Todd and then – uh, Lincoln and Ruffin's first year, you know, by God, I felt like he got the football every play. And, um, you know, I do think from – I think we get away from this as football coaches some, and I know this is a long-winded answer, but before we start thinking about formations and plays, you got to think players first. And if you got a dude, I don't care what you run, you find multiple ways to get that dude the football. And we've got a, a kid at West Bromwich right now who's a slot very similar to – I mean a high school version of a Tyler Sneed, a little guy, and we gotta do more. And and it can't just be jets and downfield passing. We gotta get him the ball more in the screen game or various ways in the drop back game to get him the ball. So players then plays and formations if if that answers it. Yeah, no, thank, thanks for expanding
3: on that. And it's just something I've observed over the years. And I think as a defensive player playing against teams who would present that look, it's almost like play action in a sense that it's giving you something to bite on. It's giving you something to think about and to, you know, come downhill and attack as a defender. And then you can – it does lead to, you know, hopefully plays over the top as well. So just an observation. I'd I just like to see us run a little more of that stuff. Um, but hey, listen, Donnie forgot more football than I know, uh, so <laughs> I'm not knocking him at all. But I, I
2: do think uh, you know the incorporating that would be would be helpful for the offense. And I think the the average fan Matt who watches it on Sunday, particularly the NFL, those guys are so good at the screen game. Like they are so good. And, I, and for some reason in college football, the screen game in general just is not as good uh, across the board. And I know we we think we see things through the lens of every mistake that East Carolina makes, but I don't think anybody runs them enough. That's a good point.
0: Kind of switching gears a little bit, uh, Brandon Forbush chimed in on YouTube on talking about uh, the ACC's thoughts on scheduling and said it might end up doing the three-five-five scheduling model, where each team has three permanent opponents each year, and the other teams rotate. Um, you know, what what are your thoughts, uh, or do you have any on that, Brett? Yeah, I mean, I
2: I think the division stuff has kind of run its course. I think it's ridiculous. I and I I think I read an article like Florida State has not gone to Virginia Tech in. 11 years or something ridiculous like that, or, uh, you know, North Carolina has not gone to Louisville since they joined the league in 2013, or Duke and NC State have played like twice in the last 10 years. that's ridiculous. I mean, it's just so anything they can do uh, to make opponents uh, make games happen that fans want to see you know, the better it is. And I, I thought about how it would work in the AAC. I mean, I would imagine when this realignment takes hold, that East Carolina and Charlotte will somehow be paired together, either in the same division or as permanent rivals, even though I know we've never played a football game before with them. Yeah. But, um, you know, who who are going to be our three that we play every year and then who are going to be the ten that rotate? You know, I, I guess we'll see. I do think you got – in the ACC is a little bit more of a long-standing conference where, uh, you know, at least the core of the league has been together nine or ten years, so you've got games that make sense. You know, Clemson and Georgia Tech, for instance, have played every year, so they're probably going to continue. Um, you know, State and Carolina have played every year despite being in other divisions, so you could make a lot of it work. But in the uh, in the AAC, I mean, it's going to be – I would imagine Charlotte and then God, for our coaches sake, I hope Navy's not one of them. <laughs> that's, that's all I hope.
1: I knew you, I knew you were going to say that, that very fact, but uh, by the way, uh, Matt, the, everybody here on the, on the show is not a fan of um, Charlotte being with us every single year. I understand proximity, but <laughs> actually, yeah, Brett, we think that those guys are like the the rich kids where they haven't, speaking of not earning anything, just because the, The market size they are they had no program and all of a sudden now they're automatically up to the aac but um they definitely are very good in basketball we we give them that at baseball but uh, the football thing is uh something i know matt matt let me ask you a question real quick when east carolina and has to go to charlotte are you gonna i know bubba will be at the game because that's like 30 minutes away but what about you are you going to come down and heckle them for hours No, I'll uh, never
3: step foot in that stadium. (laughs) Um, And to be honest. Matt, you wouldn't be able to get a
0: ticket anyway probably because it only seats (laughs) 15,000.
3: Well, guys, just look out for this. If anybody ever mentions on social media that Charlotte is a rival, I will not only will I. It's going to be a war. It's going to be a verbal war because (laughs) I am not accepting charlotte as a rival i just uh, i'm sorry i just you look at just look at east carolina we came up the hard way i mean we have fought for decades to get to where we're at and i just hate to see because they're in a large market that all of a sudden they're they're you know they're here so i they don't get
2: much respect from me (laughs) that whole market that whole market thing now that was a cable thing and everybody's cutting the cord on cable and i just need to know in in Guys, I have to be an independent. I mean, they recruit my kids too, so I'm not going to say anything bad about their program or their team. But like, how many people on Saturday? I mean, if you live in Charlotte, you're a Clemson fan, or you're a, you know, you're a, you know, a state fan, or Virginia Tech's probably got a bunch of. I mean, there's probably more uh, West Virginia. There, yeah, West Virginia. Gosh, when they played Tennessee there a couple of years ago, I thought the whole state of West Virginia was in Charlotte. But there are more. Um, there are more Carolina and state and East Carolina and app App state State grads in Charlotte than uh, that care about football than Charlotte fans. But, you know, I I think that I, I know the big market thing's a big thing, but I I still think the best college football environments are always going to be in college towns. You know, I don't think that's ever going to change.
0: Right. I mean, and I know the conference came into existence at a different time, but you, I mean, you look at the, the sec I mean you know with with Starkville with Oxford with College Station with uh Fayetteville Arkansas etc I mean it's just um Gainesville Florida I mean these are all these are college towns I mean you can probably go through there are very few programs uh, in your major markets that uh, you know are your better teams I mean, you look at Penn State and State College and yeah you have USC that's in LA but uh they're more the exception than the norm, for sure. Yeah, I mean, I
2: think that's where you got to give State some credit over the – and I realize Raleigh's gotten a lot bigger yeah. as, as they've grown. But, I mean, you got to give State some credit because despite being in a metropolitan area, you know, they've always – prided themselves on being a college sports kind of environment. And Carter Finley, when they're good, is a great environment in, in – yeah. And, and of course, basketball. So, I mean, you got to get and, and South Carolina, too, for that matter, because Columbia is a little bit more uh, metropolitan than, than some of these other places. But like I remember going to UAB, uh, you guys will probably remember this in 07 and it was Thanksgiving Saturday or Thanksgiving Friday night. And we were playing at old Legion Stadium. That guy's done a phenomenal job getting that thing back going. I mean, they've done a great job with that new stadium and everything. But back then, guys, it was it was probably 15 or 20 degrees, and that stadium is supposed to hold 80,000. I sat in the press box before the game. I went up, and I said, Tim Carter, Tim Carter was our other GA on defense. I said, I bet there ain't 200 people in this crowd right now, and I counted. And ten minutes before kickoff, there were 187 people in the crowd at UAB. Now, you now, changed. now you Brett, know. was that was that '08? You said, uh, "Yeah, it was our first championship 08. Yeah,
0: I, I was at that ball game, uh, and my buddy and I, when we walked in, I said, "I feel like I'm in a dream right now." I said, "We're we're at this huge stadium." And it's just something that makes no sense. I mean, like you said, there were more people on the sideline than there were in the seats. It was, it was just so surreal. Yeah, it was.
2: And we played like it. I mean, we it was such a sterile environment. I mean, we played awful. We found, It was like
0: 17-13, and we, yeah, we, we, we scored at the very end.
2: Brandon Simmons scored late. and uh, yep. You know, but it was just – it's not college football as it was meant to be played, that's for sure.
1: No, no, I, I wanted to ask you uh, as far as the they unveiled last Thursday, the Pirates unite capital campaign. Thankfully that one of the things when we started this podcast, we've been begging for, for over four years now, and we finally have a $60 million capital campaign to help out with uh, the biggest part, obviously the indoor practice facility. I haven't met anybody yet that doesn't want that. Uh, when you look at the, all the other, the renovation dimensions, the, all the stuff for cliff uh, for, baseball just want to get your take on that and uh, after after this campaign we've got to have one thing i'll tell the administration great that we have it but you got to be thinking down the road five and ten years even uh, beyond this if not we'll get further and further behind oh from a
2: football perspective it's a total I, game changer is not the right word game leveler if you will it does level the play it, it does level the playing field uh substantially i i do i was having a conversation with. Uh, you know, guy at church tonight, who, who's also a, a big pirate, big alum season ticket holder. Yeah, I don't think we've had worse timing in ter- terms of like inflation and all of this, uh, whether or not it was building the tower a couple of years ago or, you know, just how expensive uh, things are marked up in pricing due to, uh, you know, whether or not it's the supply line crisis or, you know, the price of steel right now. So, uh, we're going to get far less bang for our buck on a building that's about the same size of what they have at state from what I've, what I've gathered from people that I know. Um, I also don't know if it's the most brilliant idea to combine it with a other capital campaign going on to expand baseball facilities. And, you know, I can't remember exactly the Minji's improvements at the same time. You know, I think we've just been so far behind from a, not having a football standpoint, I would, I would rather like to say, okay, let's try and raise a quick 30 billion and get the football building built, you know, because, you know, we're going, again, we're going to go after the same coffers, um, you know, and to me as a football guy, you know, I want that built first because I, I think it's the, it, I think it levels the playing field from where we're at, but I'm also, you know, perfectly understanding of we got to, we got to get better. We got to do better for our basketball coaches. we got to do better. Um, you know, we need to continue to build our brand in baseball because if you're not doing something, you're getting left behind, you know, but that's, that's another thing that we, you know, we talk about with NIL and all this stuff is that money going to continue to go to, um, is it going to continue to go into facility upgrades? Cause I, here's a fun fact for you guys in the NFL right now, You know how nice those locker rooms are those coaches offices not very much they're not they're just kind of sterile they're just there because you know what that owner that owner is spending all his money on getting players so you know are are we going to start paying to get players and just forget about facilities well you can't do that because now you got to recruit so we got to raise money to go recruit and now we got to raise money to help pay these recruits once they get here but these recruits got to have nice facilities when they get here. So, I mean, where's all the money coming from? So, it's just, uh, man, what a time. What a time to be a college football follower.
0: Yeah, to your point, Brett, as far as Town Bank Tower, I mean, it's it's certainly uh, good for recruiting them. But at the same time, like Coach Houston has said, um, you know, if we would have invested, we could have had a an extremely nice press box for, I mean, this is going to end up costing us, what, between 65 and 70 million or something like that. Uh, you know, if, if you'd have spent 45 or 50 million on a press box and used that other money to build the indoor. Yep. I,
2: as, as I go refers to uh, our previous athletic director as Lord Voldemort, um, you know, it, but we're beating a dead horse. It's over. It's, not, yep. no, it's, not, it, it's, it's absolutely time to move on. And I guess we're, better late than never but i mean to me the trailer park in the sky i've got my own fond memories of being up there as the <laughs> way it was uh you know i i thought then and i still think now that what sh- that money actually should have gone to instead of a press box was an indoor with a full football operations building
0: absolutely
2: and, and ward i mean and they've done a great job in ward um on the bottom two floors but we're playing major college football, guys, and we're sharing it with cla- what used to be classrooms and, and this, yeah. we don't have the yeah. academic center that we need. I mean, you go to Clemson or you go to um, trying to think of where else I've gone or state where, you know, everything's kind of tied in together of these places I've visited before. You know we've we've got a we've got what was supposed to be a sports medicine building and one floor of it's football or two floors of it is football. I've said for years, you know, if we were going to do the indoor, we should have the operations, but that that's too expensive now. So and it's not going to happen because they put so much money in the ward. Um, I mean, you'd essentially be building two two facilities at the same time. Well,
1: that's I think you definitely.
2: That's one thing very quickly,
0: Dave, that I will give Coach Houston and his staff, Coach Houston's vision for that building, and he communicated it to uh, Pirate Nation through the media um, shortly after he was hired. Because I know, Dave, you went on that tour of Ward, and you, you had nothing but a very sterile environment, blank walls, you know, nothing but, nothing either but white or purple walls. And he said there's such a history here at East Carolina with football and the story's not told anywhere. Uh, so, you know, hats off to Coach Houston um, for for having that history told and uh, on the walls and all the signage, all the wraps, uh, all the uh, everything that he's put in um, with the, the recognition of uh, players in the NFL, uh, with the different helmets and so on and so forth. It's top notch, and they've done the best they can with uh,
1: transforming that space. Yeah, and the problem is, guys, that when Ward was built in the late 80s, it was already out of date by the time it was built. Yep, yeah. um, and and the same – going back to your point real quick with Town Bake Tower, wrap this up in a few, few minutes. You've been generous with your time. The problem with the whole press box thing is it was built in 1978, and they did nothing – like, it was 1978. They had a scoreboard that was 1978 and 1998, and I'm doing a post game show – and I find out, I was like, man, it's 20 years old. I mean, it's time to build a new press box, right? If we'd have built that press box in the early 2000s, for example, but we didn't get finished with it until 2019. And that's the problem is by the time we spent that money on, on that, if we'd have done it 20 years sooner, uh, we could have had a nice press or a nice press box. We wouldn't have had to pay for it. And then we would have been moving on to something else. Like you said, guys said, I agree wholeheartedly. That was just a resume builder for other people. Um, But now that we've got to pay for it, uh, we're going to pay for it. And then when people say we got the press box, I'm like, we will be paying that press box off. We'll probably be like in our 60s or 70s by the time we have that thing paid off. So you might as well go ahead and put it out there. And if we raise the money, we do. If we don't, we don't. Um, But it's better to put it out there and show that we have a plan for indoor practice facility. And another thing that we need to do, guys, um, this is a completely different show is we've got to do a better job of uh, getting the people that are $100 donors, the $500 donors to the Pirate Club, get them involved. They say they want people involved, but they only had on Thursday night to kick off the campaign. They only had the top 100 donors there, as I found out. So we've got to do a better job. There's more, I wish there were more uh, millionaires out there that we didn't d- depend on the $100 donors, but that's not reality. And there's a lot of 100 to $500 donors out there that we just kind of say we don't care about you, but that's a whole another uh, show. <laughs>
0: Good comment Thank there you. from B, P- B pays. Um, but uh, you know, final thing we had for you, Brett. Uh, Johnny Robertson chimed in on Facebook, and you kind of you talked about how the current landscape had impacted you as a high school coach. Uh, Johnny said, I noticed that Jake all at Texas State has 44 signees in the last two recruiting classes um, in 21 and 22. 33 are from the transfer portal, seven junior college transfers, and uh, four high school signings. Uh, I believe that he does this to avoid developing high school talent only to lose them to bigger programs. Do you feel that this could be a trend for uh, some of the programs that are kind of in that same breath?
2: Yeah, I mean, I think that's probably an extreme example of it, but I mean, I do think you're going to see more 50-50 classes, you know, where you've got 12 high school kids and 12 portal kids, and and whatever the case is. Um, but like I said, what I think is going to end up happening is the trickle down that that group of five kid, group of five teams and FCS teams all the way down to D2 are going to get initial better freshmen than they've ever got before. Now I take this as somebody who coached at North Greenville and Gardner Webb. If you tell me that I'm gonna get twenty-five better freshmen than I've gotten the year before, but I'm still I'm gonna lose probably seven or eight that go up a level, that's fine. Because if I've got eighteen better than I've ever gotten before, I'm okay with losing seven, you know, because then I can supplement them with You know, say I'm a D2 coach, I can supplement those seven. I lost with seven kids who weren't getting it done at the FCS level, and I can take them down. So I think Texas State's an extreme example of a guy who's just trying to win right away um, and is either uh, an extreme example of a guy who's trying to win right away and try and get another job. Or save his butt from getting fired, I, but I do think I mean you're going to see more classes that are a little bit more evenly distributed um, between portal and high school kids, no doubt. And it does concern me because that's, you know, I'm probably going to have some FBS kids in the future that go down and play a level because there's just there's there's no place at the table for them, and, and all the way down, if you will.
1: Head football coach of West Brunswick, and that would be a uh, former pirate. And former uh, Pirate coach, Brett Hickman. Coach, thank you so much for your time. Hopefully you won't be a stranger. Love to have you back on the summertime as you get ready for your football season where we can talk uh, more about the Trojans and your your team in addition to the Pirates as we get ready for the 22 campaign for high school and college football. It's going to be fantastic. And we hope you have a great weekend, and we'll talk again real soon.
2: Thank you guys. Appreciate you having me and, uh, you know, look forward to following the program throughout the summer as we get ready for what I think is going to be a fun year.
1: I definitely hope so. Have a great night, my friend. Appreciate Thank you. Y'all. All right. Thank you, Brett. All right, Appreciate Brett very much. Uh, I know that uh, long show here tonight, but we had a, a lot of fun guys. When you talk football, Matt, you and I, I know, and uh, Bubba, we can talk. Uh, football for hours, so we appreciate, Coach. We didn't want to keep him too long, but uh, certainly, we had so much to talk about. And even though it's a long show, it it's still it doesn't seem long enough with all the topics out there and with all the craziness. You know, I was walking to work that are, uh, for my parking lot the building there at work. Just thinking about all the craziness in college football and uh, then NCAA. It's just uh, it's overwhelming at times it really is and uh, you know I, I you
3: you look at all the changes just in the last few years and and you know you you wonder as a head coach how much time it actually pulls away from just the actual Xs and Os of football you know what i'm saying like you you're spending more time now you know, evaluating transfer portals, uh, learning about new regulations with NIL. I mean, you're being pulled in all these different directions. You wonder how much it actually takes you away from just the X's and O's of football. And uh, I I don't know. I I personally just don't like where it's going, Dave, but um, it is what it is. It's a train that's not going to stop. But, you know, I also wanted to mention uh, I, I really appreciate Brett um and his yep. his football knowledge um i love what he does on hoist the colors with uh when he when he breaks nice. down plays i'm kind of a football nerd so i appreciate you <laughs> yeah, know yeah, uh exactly. the, the the schemes the talks the the, the terminology the you know the,
1: the great work he does so uh really really enjoyed uh you know having him on no doubt about it we're we're fortunate and blessed to uh, have great guys like him and to come on the show. And then uh, it's going to be really interesting to see how we do in, in football this year. We're very excited. And obviously, keep it right here. By the way, I want to remind everybody, uh, a lot of the great program before we go, Bubba, you've had a lot of good guests on uh, the last couple of days. Uh, you can go back and I know Jamie Shaw has been on, uh, for example. Make sure yeah. you go check that out.
0: Yeah, Jamie Shaw, um, from On Three Sports, as well as Absolute Basketball. Not doing as much with Absolute Basketball as he once did, but uh, Jamie does an excellent job covering the college game I talked to him about, uh, I think, at least six of the incoming Pirates. There were some that he wasn't as familiar with, but um, you know, talked to about um, guys like Ezra, excuse me, Ezra Asar, um, and then several others um, with this this class. Uh, Mike um Schwartz elected to go you know more the high school route. You did have a couple of transfers um, you know, coming in from Tennessee as I, as well as Iowa State, but the majority mm-hmm. of the class is from the uh, high school ranks. and then you did have um, the two and Division one transfers and then the one Juco transfer. And like coach Schwartz pointed out tonight at the Pirate Armada, each of those three transfers has three years remaining. Uh, so it's not like we're getting, uh, you know, a guy as much as I would love to have gotten another guy like, like a Vance Jackson. Um,
1: obviously he just had one year to play. No doubt. And uh, by the way, one of our fans also uh, pirates have a big homestand this week and uh, congratulations! What a great baseball game uh, last night, guys. That was uh, on the edge of our seats uh, once a, I did the kids' homework and got a chance to. I guess I was at the best part, but Pirates came back and I uh, love the heart of the team and the grit. Like, uh, I know, I think that we finally have Matt Simmons as a baseball fan. I'm not quite sure, 100% <laughs> sure on that, um, but they definitely have the grit and the heart of a Matt Simmons. So maybe he can relate to that. Um, but yeah, anyway,
3: I, I really yeah. enjoy
1: this team, guys. I really do. They, you know,
3: they had to talk about adversity like we were earlier in the show. I mean, they had a lot of adversity early in the season. I mean, <laughs> to, to lose your top pitcher, you know, to drop your opening series of the season, um, you know, the record wasn't wasn't up to par there in the first half of the season. And then to do what they've done, I mean, this is a team that just keeps working. They keep getting better. You got to give major credit to Cliff Godwin for keeping yeah. this thing together, keeping it heading in the right direction. Um just a great job and maybe it's not the most talented team we've ever had maybe it's not the deepest pitching staff we've ever had but these guys you know they show up to play they battle and uh
1: they're gonna be a tough out 35 and 18 of course 17 and 4 on the season and bubba i know a big series i want to what tickets uh, i don't know how many they have uh, available but you can go to ecpirates.com or 1-800-ECU get your tickets for this weekend I will try to take my kids to one of the games that probably will be, uh, looks like Sunday. We can take them there.
0: Yeah. And uh, you're talking about plugging some of the recent content in addition to Jamie Shaw had an excellent conversation today. uh, And that was with Ben Upton of the 11.7 podcast. Um, You know, those guys have a tremendous listenership, Um, they have nearly uh, right at uh, 29,000 followers on Twitter um, have developed a very strong following over the last three or four years. And I really respect the work that they do, uh, along with obviously D one baseball. So if you're a college baseball fan, definitely follow at D one baseball and also at 11 point uh, spelled out, uh, 11.7 pod, uh, two tremendous follows for the diehard college baseball fan. And they, you know, they're constantly retweeting highlights and, uh, happenings from around the nation. And, um, they love, uh, I know Ben, at least, uh, who played at Mercer and experienced the jungle firsthand. Uh, you know, he absolutely loves everything that East Carolina baseball brings to the table. And, uh, the pirate nation has grown by one with him. Uh, if East Carolina's not playing Mercer and, um, I know he he, he really uh, loves um, everything that Cliff Godwin and this staff are doing and, and thinks it's just a matter of time before Cliff and uh, company get us to Omaha. But, uh, you know, so def- definitely go back and check out that conversation. We talked about a lot of teams from around the nation, not only East Carolina. And then we also dove into uh, things like the uh, raccoon that was caught in the stands at Arkansas's Baum Stadium over the weekend in that series between the Razorbacks and Vanderbilt. It was pretty hilarious. If you guys haven't seen that I'm video, you need, to, <laughs> you need to check it out. I meant to send it to you if I didn't. And, um, you did. and, and in, addition, in addition to that, uh, let's see, Matt and I, because I think, Dave, you'll probably be working at this time. If not, we'd love for you to join us. But uh, this coming week, I believe it's going to be Wednesday afternoon, we'll be visiting with Michael Papajohn. Michael Papajohn played baseball at LSU. Uh, he was on LSU's first two College World Series teams in 86 and 87 under Skip Bertman, mm-hmm. and, and he went on uh, right, right as he was finishing his LSU career. He had exhausted his baseball eligibility and was still finishing school. And he became a hitman there, a stunt double, in uh, Everybody's All-American that was being filmed at Tiger Stadium. And that led to a, a career that's still um, going on in uh, the film industry. He lived out in Hollywood for, you know, 27, 28 years, but it's now back in Baton Rouge, but still very involved in the film industry. Uh, so uh, he was Bobby Boucher's stunt double, uh, you know, Adam Sandler's stunt double in The Water Boy. Back in 1998 and was in for the love of the game with Kevin Costner as one of the players for the Yankees. Also was in the longest yard with Adam Sandler in 2005. So that's going to be a tremendous conversation with Michael Papajohn.
1: I didn't know about that part of, I knew about the baseball. I didn't know about the acting part. I missed out. By the way, I misspoke. uh, Thanks to Johnny Gardner. Uh, I knew it and I said it wrong. I meant to say the Saturday game. uh, This weekend, of course, is Thursday Night Friday night Saturday Saturday for, uh, for the weekend because of the tournament start next weekend on Tuesday in Clearwater. So thank you Johnny, I misspoke on that and I appreciate you for correcting that. So I wanted to say that before uh, we left. Anyway, uh, thanks to uh, Brett Hickman, Coach Hickman for coming on tonight. Thank you Matt. Thank you Bubba. Appreciate everybody so much. Uh, don't forget we'll have extra innings this weekend. Hopefully we can talk about on Sunday night. We can talk yep. about a big victory. And Next Level Training Center is our great, great sponsor. And I know we've got a big uh, person coming on, don't we? A big guest? We do. Um,
0: We caught up with this guy uh, just prior to the season, and he'll join us. Bridgie, uh, Matt Bridges, living down in Atlanta now with Cam Colmore, working for Grover Gaming. Um, Garrett Blackwelder, former Pirate Basketballer's company. Um, we'll catch up with Bridges and, uh, and maybe, who know, maybe uh, Kim Colmore will join as well. And we'll talk about the season that was uh, for the Pirates in, in terms of the regular season and look forward to the conference tournament down in Clearwater. Maybe get some stories out of those guys about uh, conference tournaments past and, uh, you know, what it's like to, uh, to play for the Pirates and uh, Cliff Godwin going into the postseason.
1: No doubt. And uh, Mark Holloway, appreciate you. And uh, Johnny, there's a lot of great guys uh, watching uh, live right now. And uh, Lawrence Tibbetts, there's a lot of uh, great people as well. So appreciate appreciate uh, the comments and questions tonight. Uh, Brandon Forbush as well. All right, we're going to get out of here. Appreciate you guys very much. We'll see you on, on Sunday for Extra Innings. Until next time, you've been watching and listening to The Sports Objective. Good night, everybody, and go Pirates.
2: Gold. I'm a pirate down of my soul, and I don't back down, not at all, find out when the cannons explode, from the sidelines down to the post, put it down like not even close, all out my from the last whistle blow. for the flag was a soul and bones. everybody stand up, get your hands up, let our team know that we got
1: their back, this is our house, this is our town, our time, everyone night. Like-